Faith and Reason Podcasts, new media for the new evangelization from Franciscan University of Steubenville. Find more at faithandreason.com. Being the last presenter has its positive notes and its negative notes. Uh, You get to hear all the other speakers speak, but oftentimes there is some overlap between what others say and what you want to say. In some respects, that's a good thing because you know we're all on the same page. We're all on the right track. So uh, you're going to hear a couple of things uh, re-echoed in my talk of what we've already heard this weekend. Um, And I think that is good. That is positive uh, as we're all united here in our efforts uh, to strive to move forward in service Uh, of the church. As Dr. Simonton said, uh, my talk is entitled uh, Embracing the Gift of Ex Cordia Ecclesiae to Challenge the Culture. Uh, Not everybody, as Dr. Hendershot pointed out this morning and as uh, Bishop Monforton pointed out this morning, not everybody sees Ex Cordia Ecclesiae as a gift. Uh, But I spent a significant amount of my time studying the document and seeing its application and seeing how it can be a gift, not only to the church, but to a Catholic university in the way in which the university lives out its life uh, and fosters the next generation of leaders who will come forward and lead and guide us in the church and in the world. So I firmly believe that it is a gift, uh, and hopefully by the end of our time together this afternoon, you will appreciate that uh, as well. First, as we've heard earlier today, uh, Pope John Paul II promulgated Ex Cordia Ecclesiae back in 1990, the Apostolic Constitution on Catholic Universities. An Apostolic Constitution is the highest level of authoritative document that we receive from the Church. It has great significance, great importance in the way in which we live out our lives. Um, He started off his document born from the heart of the Church, where we get that phrase, Ex Cordia Ecclesiae. Born from the heart of the church, a Catholic university is located in that course of tradition which may be traced back to the very origin of the university as an institution. It has always been recognized as an incomparable center of creativity and dissemination of knowledge for the good of humanity. He began with these principles noting uh, in that constitution uh, that he wanted to be able to support Catholic universities in all that they do to be able to educate, but to form men and women who are going to go forward and transform the world. He also recognized that Catholic universities face challenges. Uh, Being a university that wants to remain true to its mission but also recognizing that Catholic universities also exist in a secular world and in many respects compete with the secular world in getting students to be able to come and study at those institutions. But John Paul wanted the uh, Ex Cordia Ecclesiae document to be of help to them in addressing those concerns, addressing those challenges, and again, giving them a framework for being able to operate true to their mission. He said, my hope is that these prescriptions referring to the norms that are found in Ex Cordia Ecclesiae, based on the teaching of the Vatican Council II and the directives of the Code of Canon Law, will enable Catholic universities and other institutes of higher studies 
to fulfill their indispensable mission in the new advent of grace that is opening up to the new millennium. Two things are important in that, that quote. Well, three things probably are important as well. That note of encouragement, first and foremost, that John Paul gave to all Catholic universities. But he also draws on two very rich traditions as well that are incorporated into the teachings of Ex Cordia Ecclesiae. First, he points out the significance of the teachings of the Second Vatican Council. And uh, in addition to celebrating the 25th anniversary of Ex Cordia Ecclesiae this year, we are also actually celebrating the 50th anniversary of Vatican II's document on Catholic education, Gravissimum Educationis. Um, and I actually have the great pleasure of being able to participate in a seminar that the Holy See is putting on in November uh, addressing both of those anniversaries, the 50th anniversary of Gravissima Educationis and the 25th anniversary of Ex Cordia Ecclesiae. Um, so it's, it's a great year. Many, many good things are happening in Catholic education that we are remembering this year. One of the documents, in addition to Gravissima Educationis from the Second Vatican Council, that really has a lot of significant input into the way John Paul framed Ex Cordia Ecclesiae is the last document from the Second Vatican Council, Gaudium et Spes, the church in the modern world. Uh, and we know that John Paul was, that when he was then Cardinal Wojtyla, was very influential in the drafting of Gaudium et Spes. And there are many, many principles that he picks up from that teaching in Gaudium et Spes and incorporates then into Ex Cordia Ecclesiae. So there, there are some new things in Ex Cordia, but a lot of things are carried over from the teachings of the Second Vatican Council. And if you're looking for some late night reading, I know an obscure canonist who wrote an article on how Gaudium et Spes ties in with Ex Corde, and if you want that reference, I can get that to you later on. The other thing that comes out of this quote is the reliance upon the code of canon law that was promulgated in 1983, and for the first time, had specific canons dealing with Catholic universities and how education is to be provided at Catholic universities. That is actually where we get the requirement that we hear so often about the mandatum for those who teach the theological disciplines, to have that, that mandate from the diocesan bishop. A lot of people attribute that to Ex Corte Ecclesiae. Ex Corte actually just picked up and incorporated the reference uh, to Canon 812 that's found in the Code of Canon Law. It wasn't new. People perhaps didn't recognize it, people didn't follow it, but it comes from the actual Code of Canon Law. So John Paul really recognized the, 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 the space in which Catholic universities were beginning to find themselves and the challenges that Catholic universities were experiencing. Uh, about 10 years ago, there was a book that was published uh, entitled Catholic Higher Education a Culture in Crisis. And it was authored by two individuals, one Melanie Moray and also Father John Pitteret of the Society of Jesus. And they, they addressed a lot of the different issues that Catholic universities were faced with at the time. And they continue, uh, in many respects, to speak to us today. I just wanted to spend a couple of minutes looking uh, at the questions that they raised in their book uh, to give us somewhat of a framework of what the, the context is for the talk that I'm going to give uh, this morning. And they raised a number of different issues. Uh, you can see six of them up there uh, on the slide. Um, they said a crisis 
is looming within American Catholic higher education. As Catholic colleges and universities analyze their position and set a course for the future, they are faced with a structural reality that threatens their ability to continue as institutions with vibrant religious cultures. Dr. Hendershot this morning referred to the clock that gets more and more towards that destruction of the Catholic institutions as we know them. And many of the institutions were buying into that type of thinking. But what uh, Moray and Pitteret were trying to do is to raise the questions so that universities could address them, utilizing the gift of Ex Cordia Ecclesiae to move forward to solidify their identity, their position as Catholic universities. They went on to say, much has been said and written about such questions as what constitutes the Catholic identity of Catholic colleges and universities. Many Catholic colleges think as long as they do some type of service program, that's all they have to do and they're Catholic. It doesn't matter if they follow the teachings of the church. As long as they're service oriented, that's the only thing that matters. It's much more than that. Is it inevitable for Catholic colleges and universities to follow the historical trend and lose their religious identity? What does it mean to be an authentically Catholic institution and is there only one way to do that? What is the appropriate balance between the secular and religious missions of Catholic colleges and universities? And will the loss of nuns, brothers, and priests as a vital and visible presence on campus prove fatal for institutional Catholic character? And that's a real concern for many Catholic institutions where you used to see 40 and 50 members of a religious community teaching, serving in positions of leadership at Catholic institutions of higher education. Um, a lot of communities, religious communities, have not seen the growth in vocations that we have actually been blessed with as the TORs of the province of the most sacred heart of Jesus. Walking onto a Catholic university campus in places other than Franciscan University, you might find it difficult to find a religious. But we, we are blessed with the friars, we were blessed with so many of our students who are members of religious communities as well, our students know what it means to be a member of a religious community. But that is a question that is continually raised and how Catholic identity is put forward at many Catholic institutions. John Paul certainly anticipated many of these questions and certainly was trying to help Catholic universities to be able to address them. In the nearly, well, 25 years since Ex Cordia Ecclesiae was promulgated, Questions such as these have been studied. Questions such as these have even been dismissed by some institutions. Uh, but they need to be able, we all need to continue to reflect on these questions as we try to remain faithful to our mission and move forward with what the church is asking of us. Even though many of these questions have been raised and we see these changes happening in Catholic institutions of higher learning, it has not felt, we have not felt such a dramatic impact here on campus. And in some respects, we have actually learned from those lessons and moved forward to more fully embrace our Catholic identity as an institution of Catholic higher education. Much of that, I would say, can be attributed to 
what we call here on campus the culture of Franciscan University. Uh, if you are able to see the slide there, hopefully you have the right one up there, you can see two men who have been very much involved in the discussion uh, of what we're talking about here today. Uh, the man dressed in white, you would recognize as Pope St. John Paul II. The man dressed in black was the president of Franciscan University for 26 years, Father Michael Scanlon, and certainly was very heavily involved in implementing and addressing a lot of the ideas set forth in Ex Cordia Ecclesiae, but in many respects even anticipating the movement, the desire of the church to move more closely in faithful fidelity to the church even before Ex Corde was promulgated. The culture here at Franciscan University is noteworthy because it actually enables all members of the university family, but particularly our students, to be able to be immersed in academic studies, in academic endeavors. After all, we are an academic institution, and we have a responsibility to our students to be able to form them in their academic studies. But to be a university that is both a university, an academic institution of higher learning, but also a Catholic institution, we take seriously our obligation to form our men and women in the teachings of the church, to form them on what it means to be sons and daughters of the Father. Coupling those two together enables us to be both a university, but a university that is faithful to our Catholic identity. In the, in the talk that I want to give this afternoon, I want to spend some time really talking about the culture here at Franciscan University and how the development, the faithfulness to the culture that we have established here will help to transform the culture of the secular world. By forming our men and women in their academic pursuits, by forming them as sons and daughters of the Father who go forward into the world, they are in turn having that positive effect on our society, that positive effect on our secular culture that's ultimately going to lead to the transformation of our world. Now I have the great benefit of being able to travel throughout the country and actually throughout the world on many occasions to be able to speak to people about Franciscan University. And when I talk with people who know Franciscan University, they always talk about our students, about our faculty, about our alumni in particular, who are really coming into their communities and transforming their parishes, transforming the life of their towns, all because of the things that they learned while they were here at Franciscan University studying as, as, uh, at this academic institution. Uh, uh, Moray and Pitteret recognized that the challenges that a Catholic university faces are quite diverse, as we saw on that list that we went over just a few minutes ago. St. John Paul II really summed it up in his conclusion to Ex Cordia Ecclesia, the challenge that we all experience in the seriousness of how we need to embrace the challenge put forward to Catholic universities. He said, the mission that the church, with great hope and trust to Catholic universities holds a cultural and religious meaning of vital importance because it concerns the very future of humanity. 
No small obligation there, right? It concerns the very future of humanity. The renewal requested of Catholic universities will make them better able to respond to the task of bringing the message of Christ to man, to society, and to the various cultures. And I propose that if we, as Catholic universities, truly embrace the gift that Ex Cordiae Ecclesiae is, it actually provides us with the roadmap for success so that we will be able to fulfill what Pope St. John Paul asked of us 25 years ago. It all starts with what John Paul called the university community. And the university community is a large group of people, and it encompasses quite a large group of people. Uh, he said a Catholic university pursues its objectives with, uh, through its formation of an authentic human community animated by the spirit of Christ. A truly authentic human community animated by the spirit of Christ. Before we jump to this community and who comprises this community, I want to give you just a little bit of background on who he saw or what he saw as the essential elements of what a Catholic university should entail. And there are actually four of them when he provided his description of what a Catholic university is. First of all, a Catholic university is an, a, a Christian, has a Christian inspiration, not only of individuals, but of the university community as such. Not only the individual persons who participate in this great endeavor that we know as Catholic higher education, but the whole community as a body. And in a few minutes, I'll go into my description of why I feel here at Franciscan University, we're not just a community, but we are a family of believers united together and trying to help each other to, put, to, to promote the teachings of the church and who we are as members of the body of Christ. He also said that a Catholic university has a continuing reflection in the light of the Catholic faith upon the growing treasury of human knowledge to which it seeks to contribute by its own research. Continuing reflection in the light of the Catholic faith upon the growing treasury of human knowledge, that beginning reference to the dialogue between faith and reason, who we are through our intellect coming to be informed by who we are as men and women of faith. Fidelity to the Christian message as it comes through the church, to remain faithful to the teachings of the church and the way in which everything is presented. And lastly, he said, an institutional commitment to the service of the people of God and of the human family and their pilgrimage to the transcendent goal which gives meaning to life. The pilgrimage that leads us on to a recognition of the absolute truth, God himself, who is the source of all truth. John Paul described these as the elements of a faithful Catholic university, which is actually comprised of the members of the university community. He said, a Catholic university pursues its objectives through its formation uh, of an authentic human community animated by the spirit of Christ again. The source of its unity springs from a common dedication to the truth, a common vision 
of the dignity of the human person, and ultimately the person and message of Jesus Christ, which gives the institution its distinctive character. We as a Catholic institution are supposed to be different than the secular institution down the road. We are supposed to be known for who we are, our identity as Catholic, as faithful, in the way in which we present the academic endeavors in which we engage. As a result of this inspiration, the community is animated by a spirit of freedom and charity. It is characterized by mutual respect, sincere dialogue, and protection of the right of individuals. It assists each of its members to achieve wholeness as human persons. In turn, everyone in the community helps in promoting unity, and each one, according to his or her role and capacity, contributes towards decisions which affect the community and also towards maintaining and strengthening the distinctive Catholic character of the institution. When you look at this quote in its context and think about how we apply that here at Franciscan University, you can come to understand why I call us a Franciscan University family and not just a community. Because we really take to heart the desire to build each other up to see each of us develop as those human persons that God created us to be, to fulfill our role according to our, our, our responsibility here at the university as well. Many people are part of the Franciscan University family. Many people are part of our community. They include faculty members, students, directors, and administrators, members of the various religious institutes who are part of the university family, and indeed, all members of the Christian faithful who so faithfully serve this mission of Franciscan University. Each one of us has a role to play. Each one of us is involved in making decisions. Each one of us is involved in reaching out to each other and helping to build that human person into the man or woman that God created us to be. John Paul said, for example, all teachers are to be inspired by academic ideals and by the principles of an authentically human life. He said, students come to a Catholic university to pursue truth and meaning in their lives and to obtain the formation to enable them to live a more deeply Christian way of life. He went on to say they should realize the responsibility of their professional lives, the enthusiasm of being trained leaders of tomorrow, of being witnesses to Christ in whatever place they may exercise their profession. Administrators of a Catholic university also are charged with promoting the university family through a ministry of service. And indeed, everyone has a role to play in advancing the Catholic University. Ex Corte acknowledges that many religious institutes founded Catholic universities in the past and recognize that some are struggling to be able to continue to foster that apostolate. Uh, he said, the future of Catholic universities depends to a great extent 
on the competent and dedicated service of lay Catholics in light of the fact that many religious institutes are not able to continue to sponsor such institutions. The church sees their developing presence in these institutions both as a sign of hope and as a confirmation of the irreplaceable lay vocation in the church and in the world. Confident that lay people will in the exercise of their own distinctive role and illumine and organize these temporal affairs in such a way that they always start out, develop, and continue according to Christ's mind to the praise of the Creator and of the Redeemer. Since the time that Excordia Ecclesiae was promulgated, the Congregation for Catholic Education has really spent significant amount of time trying to promote the relationship between members of the laity and members of religious institutes who previously and, and strive to continue uh, to sponsor Catholic institutions, Catholic educational institutions, whether at the university level, at the level of high schools, uh, grade schools, elementary schools as well. There are a number of documents that that congregation has promulgated that deal with those particular issues. It's very much a reality in a lot of different institutions today. The Catholic University community further extends to men and women of even different faith traditions and perhaps even to those who may not possess any religious beliefs. Yet their training, their formation in connection with the Catholic University should also reflect the ministerial outreach of the university that is indeed Catholic. Together here at Franciscan University, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we continue to strive to be able to address the needs of all members of the university family, recognizing that we all have a role to play, recognizing that we are all here, sent here by God himself to be able to work together and to be able to foster his university that he has entrusted to our care. I want to first spend a few minutes talking about the role of the faculty, because John Paul actually singles out the faculty. Much of what I'm going to say with regard to the faculty, however, can also be applied to our directors, our administrators as well. Because as you see when I go through the content of this particular section of the talk, I'm going to talk about the way in which faculty members are involved certainly in the classroom, but also in many different endeavors outside of the classroom that help to promote who we are as Franciscan University. When I think about Catholic higher education and education in general, I like to go back to the source of all of our, our obligation to go forth and teach. Many people, when I ask about that, they come up with some kind of reference to a church document. Uh, when I ask in class about this or something in the Code of Canon Law, something in one of the Vatican II documents, it all goes back to scripture. And it's an obligation that we have as followers of Christ. You all are very familiar with the Lord's great commission at the end of Matthew's gospel, where he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Making disciples of all men and teaching them as I have commanded you. But we have his promise as well. We do not do this alone. He goes on to say, and behold, 
I am with you always until the end of the age. This endeavor that we engage in as members of a Catholic higher education institution, we're not doing this on our own. We need to be informed and follow the example of Jesus Christ himself in everything that we do. The way we teach with words, the way we teach with our actions. That phrase that's always attributed to Francis of Assisi that he never said, preach the gospel at all times, use words if necessary. We continue to follow the Lord's great commission in the way in which we provide education at any institution, but in particular here at Franciscan University of Steubenville. Uh, John Paul acknowledged in Excordia Ecclesiae the particular role of the faculty in being able to foster uh, the academic studies, but also the role that they play outside of the classroom. He acknowledged that a Catholic university is first and foremost a community of scholars driven to advance the various branches of academic studies. We are chartered by the state of Ohio to be an academic institution. We don't lose sight of that, but we also recognize that our mission, while its foundation is as an academic institution, our mission includes other obligations as well. He went on to say it is also an educational institution, the Catholic University, that embraces and promotes the teachings of the Catholic Church as a defining component of what it was established to be as a, quote, Catholic university, close quote. Consequently, as John Paul urged, Catholic ideals ought to permeate all activities of a Catholic university. Certainly, any academic institution is dependent upon the members of its faculty. We would not be a Catholic academic institution without our faculty members. We would have to close our doors tomorrow if our faculty members were not here with us. But because we are also an institution born from the heart of the church, ex corde ecclesiae, our faculty also fulfills a special calling or vocation to be witnesses to the gospel and the way in which they teach, the way in which they live their very lives as well. All of us need to support the Catholic mission at all levels of a Catholic university and provide to particularly the members of the faculty the opportunity to integrate their faith into their daily lives. In the classroom, in their interactions with students, their interactions with their colleagues, and also within a variety of service-related activities. John Paul pointed out that there are many, many opportunities at a Catholic university for all of us to come together, to pray together, to reflect on our various roles, how we live out our lives as faculty members, as uh, administrators, whatever our particular role is. For example, he talked about praying together as a faith community at the celebration of the Mass, praying with students as class begins, particularly for faculty members. Engaging in such opportunities, faculty members are able to bring to, the, to prayer the challenges that they experience in their teaching, and in turn to bring back to the classroom the insights that they receive in prayer. That dialogue that goes on between their intellectual life and their faith life. 
St. John Paul II said that Catholic members of this Catholic university community will be offered opportunities to assimilate Catholic teaching and practice into their lives and will be encouraged to participate in the celebration of the sacraments, especially the Eucharist, as the most perfect act of community worship. Through their words and example, faculty members are especially equipped to encourage other members of the university community to engage in these various spiritual opportunities. <clears throat> A couple other things he said that the university calls for the recruitment of adequate university personnel, especially teachers and administrators who are both willing and able to promote the Catholic identity of the university. Catholic faculty members, he said, are called to be witnesses and educators of authentic Christian life, which evidences attained integration between faith and life and between professional competence and Christian wisdom. The integration of an authentically human life incorporates both the intellectual capacity but the faith-based capacity as well. Here at Franciscan University, I just want to go over a couple of examples of how I see our faculty members doing this. Some of you will recognize Dr. Keebler there, who is going to be responding here. Yes, yes, that's a great picture, isn't it? Yes, yes. Uh, off the web page, so I cannot take responsibility for that. And again, the, these are examples that particularly highlight our faculty members, but we have many other people throughout the university that are involved in these types of activities. And it is through these activities that they engage the students, other members of the university family, to demonstrate to them how you integrate faith and reason, how you in, uh, uh, integrate intellect with your faith life. Uh, first there on the list there is uh, participation in daily faith-based activities. It amazes me every day when I look out in the congregation over at Christ the King Chapel, no matter which mass it is, and there are always numerous faculty and staff members there in the congregation. Many sitting amidst all of the students, coming together with them as advisors to their households, even if it's at 6.30 in the morning, our faculty members and our staff are there supporting the students, allowing the students see them pray. There was a study that was done a few years ago, um, and I actually forget the source of it, that talked about the role of uh, the way, the manner in which the predictability of uh, young people are going to embrace their faith when they're at that age of college level or slightly uh, younger than that. If mom or dad do nothing to influence them, in their development of the faith life, it's only around 20% of those people who will remain actively practicing their faith. If mom does it with them by themselves, they, do, uh, they only see about 35% uh, to 40% of those young men and women going on to remain active in their faith. But if dad goes with mom and the children to mass to see, to, they see him praying, it skyrockets to like 80%. That those young men and women need to see role models praying with them to validate the importance of being a man or woman of faith, to validate the significance of faith in their own lives, and to give them that witness, that example of what it means to be not only successful in your occupation, 
but also to be a man or woman of faith. We need to do it together, not just for ourselves, but for that next generation of leaders that we are entrusted with forming. Uh, next on the list is advisors to household. Many of our faculty members and staff serve as advisors to household life uh, uh, systems here in the university, household life faith-based communities to spend time with them, praying, spend time with them, fulfilling their obligations, those service opportunities that are there as well. Many of our faculty and staff also serve on various mission trips throughout the United States, Central America, and out of our uh, study abroad program in Austria, even to parts of Europe as well. A few years ago, we began an mission immersion experience project in Ecuador, where faculty members go with our students to teach them during the, the morning sessions, but also spend time doing ministry with them at other opportunities throughout the afternoon and the weekends. Many of our university members, family members are part of our uh, advisors for student clubs, participate in the Center for Leadership, help our students uh, to be able to develop as leaders, lead Bible faith study groups, all of these different things. Provide non-academic talks, for example, on the importance of promoting marriage and family, serving as coaches for athletic teams, being able to be with our men and women on a consistent daily basis, serving uh, as those role models for them in developing their faith life. When, whenever we look at the importance of a Catholic education, and in particular, the importance of a Franciscan Catholic education, I look like to rely on this quote from St. Bonaventure, uh, one of our earliest and, and uh, the seraphic theologian he's always known as. Uh, and Bonaventure wrote that this is the, the seraphic doctor, I'm sorry, this is the fruit of all sciences that in all, faith must be, must be strengthened. God may be honored, character may be formed, and consolation may be derived from union of the spouse with his beloved. A union which takes place through charity to the attainment of which the whole purpose of sacred scripture and thus of every illumination descending from above comes to rest a charity without which all knowledge is vain. All of the academic disciplines, everything that we study, the fruit of all of our studies need to lead us to Christ, need to be able to recognize the role that Christ plays in those studies and be able to continue to foster our further development and understanding of the relationship that we have with God in our lives. Bonaventure went on to say, the study of all academic disciplines should be directed to turning the mind to God. The study of all academic disciplines should be directed to turning the mind to God so that there is no investigation without wonder, no observation without joy, and no understanding without humility. Through teaching, through the witness of your lives, our faculty members are able to utilize the gifts and talents they have been given as scholars in their particular areas to bring out those times when we have investigation, when we are able to observe, when we're able to understand 
But pursuing those thoughts and understandings, those observations, those investigations from a Catholic perspective, leading us to wonder, leading us to joy, leading us to recognize with humility the importance of God in our lives. Uh, Article 4, Section 3 of Ex Cordia Ecclesiae's General Norms reiterated the need for all Catholic teachers to be faithful to Catholic doctrine and for the teachers particularly of the theological disciplines to have the mandate to teach from the competent ecclesiastical authorities. He said, in ways appropriate to the different academic disciplines, all Catholic teachers are to be faithful to and all other teachers are to respect Catholic doctrine and morals in their research and teaching. In particular, Catholic theologians aware that they fulfill a mandate received from the church are to be faithful to the magisterium of the church as the authentic interpreter of sacred scripture and sacred tradition. As Bishop Monforton alluded to in his talk this morning, we've picked up on this obligation from the very beginning. Actually, it started before Ex Cordia Ecclesiae was promulgated. It was back in 1989 that with the encouragement of Father Michael Scanlon, who was the president of Franciscan University at that time, uh, that Franciscan University's theology professors became the first Catholic theology faculty in the United States to make the profession of faith and the oath of fidelity to the magisterium. Each year since then, we have repeated that annual tradition, and all new Franciscan University theologians, priests, and ministry personnel have continued this obligation. Members of the Franciscan University's Board of Trustees have also made the profession of faith and oath of fidelity on multiple occasions throughout that time. In 2013, the entire president's cabinet, along with members of the sacred music department and the philosophy department, also made the profession of faith and oath of fidelity. Bishop Monforton was gracious enough to receive that for all of us. I think there were about 15 or 20 people on the stage that day. Uh, and it took a few minutes, but it was, it's still available online. If you ever want to watch that, it's a very moving ceremony to be able to see that. And, and I recognize that numerous other Catholic universities have done this since then, have made the profession of faith and the oath of fidelity. But it's important for us as a faithful Catholic institution to remain true to doing this public profession of faith and oath of fidelity, to testify to the university family of who we are and our intention to remain faithful to the teachings of the church. We purposely do this during the uh, orientation mass at the beginning of the academic year when our new students arrive, when their parents are with them to be able to witness this public profession of fidelity. Uh, you've got a picture there of those men and women, well, Kim is the only woman this year, who made the profession of faith and oath of fidelity. Uh, but you have a faculty member there, an administrator. Uh, you have uh, one of our uh, friars who is here in apostolic year, and the new local minister that we have as the friars as well. So it's a wide spectrum of individuals who make that profession and public oath of fidelity. Uh, in, 19, in 2013, Pope Francis, in his apostolic exhortation, Evangelii Gaudium, in, uh, pointed to the importance of a Catholic university's role to be an evangelizing community. He said, universities are outstanding environments for articulating 
and developing this evangelizing commitment in an interdisciplinary and integrated way. The encounter with Christ that is brought about through evangelization further enhances the mission of a Catholic university, which is lived out in so many respects through our faculty members, through our administrators, our directors, all those who have leadership roles at the university. And we continue to emphasize the importance of being evangelizers in the way in which we live our lives. Francis uh, encouraged the Christian faithful to embark upon a new chapter of evangelization. His words marked by joy while pointing out new paths for the church's journey in years to come. We also uh, look to our students to be members, certainly, of the Franciscan University family. We could have all the faculty members we would need if no students come to us, we don't have anybody to teach. We could sit around and teach each other, but we need the students as well. Uh, and certainly at Franciscan University, the pastoral care of our students is a, a significant priority for us because it's in providing that pastoral care by being able to be those witnesses of truly authentic faith to our students that we're able to form them inside the classroom but also in the various activities in which they engaged. Uh, in Ex Cordia Ecclesiae, John Paul II provided guidance on topics that are closely related to what we affectionately call student affairs or student life issues. Ex Cordia Ecclesiae addresses both pastoral care and evangelization, topics that are related to these uh, student affairs issues, uh, and as well as treated in Pope Francis's apostolic exhortation, Evangelii Gaudium. Uh, particularly, uh, Pope Francis, I'm sorry, Pope John Paul II in Ex Cordia Ecclesiae emphasized how such pastoral care needs to be provided with an emphasis on the dignity of the human person. He said that a Catholic university pursues its objectives through its formation of an authentic human community animated by the spirit of Christ. We've heard that before. The source of its unity springs from a common dedication to its truth, a common vision to the dignity of the human person, and ultimately the person and message of Christ, which gives the institution its distinctive character. He went on to broadly define pastoral ministry as that activity of the university which offers the members of the university community an opportunity to integrate religious and moral principles with their academic study and non-academic activities, thus integrating faith with life. Because of your accessibility to students, many of our personnel who work for us at the university have a very special role in integrating faith with life for our students. Particularly, and again, these are examples as well, particularly pastorally delivered care at all levels of a Catholic university provides the members of the university community with the opportunity to integrate their faith into their daily lives in the residence halls, in uh, many student-oriented activities, uh, athletics clubs or associations, even dealing with issues of student discipline, whether it's academic or uh, behavioral. Residence hall directors and assistants physically live with the students 
and see them engage their spiritual highs and lows. Athletic coaches also meet the members of their teams on a daily basis for practice or on the long bus trip for an away game. Even the person who disciplines a student has the opportunity to bring Christ to that student through that encounter. In our residence halls in particular, we have many opportunities available to our students to help to form them in their faith. Uh, students that become aware of the various roles that they are able to play in missionary outreach, being able to more fully understand their spiritual life, being able to understand their vocation as a married or single person, as a priest, as a religious, whatever God is calling them to do. In our residence halls, we have the grace, the great blessing, due to the kindness and generosity of our bishop, of having the blessed sacrament reserved in the chapels in each of our residence halls. Our students have the opportunity at any time of the day, and some even to the wee hours of the night, to just walk down the hall and pray in front of the blessed sacrament. It's not something that you're going to see at other secular institutions. But because of that availability, because of the availability of chaplains and, or pastoral associates in each of the residence halls, the availability of celebrating the sacrament of reconciliation, the hall masses that we have on a periodic basis, that distinguishes the way in which our students are formed so that they have the, 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 the tools that they need to be able to engage the culture. Pastoral care is certainly not limited to the activities that happen over at Christ the King Chapel. Pastoral care is provided to our students at all levels, in the classroom, in the faculty offices, in the residence halls, in meetings with various staff persons, in just encounters with each other as we walk around the campus. All the ways in which we are the presence of Christ to others help to build us up as members of the Franciscan University family. Which leads me to my next category because it actually applies to everyone, not just faculty or staff, not just to the students, but all of us who are part of this Franciscan University family. John Paul II said the primary mission of the church is to preach the gospel in such a way that a relationship between faith and life is established in each individual and in the socio-cultural context in which the individuals live and act and communicate with one another. The primary reason for evangelizing is the love of Jesus, which we have received. The love of Jesus that each one of us has received. John Paul II uh, certainly emphasized this throughout the course of his pontificate, describing that new evangelization that Dr. Hahn spoke about last night. Benedict and Francis have picked up on that as well. Certainly, whenever we think of new evangelization, uh, we also recognize the role that each one of us has to play in promoting evangelization amongst ourselves. And when one um, author, one commentator, described the new evangelization as comprised of three things. He said, first, new evangelization includes renewed spiritual devotion, as well as renewed efforts in catechesis. We must know Jesus, and we must understand Christianity and the Catholic faith in particular. This renewed knowledge enables the second element of living our faith. 
And third, a natural extension of knowing and living our faith is to share it with others. We often hear about the importance of that personal encounter that each one of us needs to have with Jesus Christ, that personal encounter on a continuous basis. Not something that happens once like you're turning on a light switch, but something that happens each and every day, which is ongoing, that ongoing conversion that we hear about so often here at Franciscan University. Leading us to be disciples, to learn what it means to be a disciple through our academic studies, through our formation as men and women of God, sons and daughters of the Father, leading us to mission. You heard that list of people that Dr. Hahn provided last night of all of the people who have been involved with the university uh, throughout the years who have gone on to really engage that, that obligation of mission in different areas. And certainly there are many people who are not on that list that he provided la that last night which endeavor to do the same thing. The conversion leads to discipleship, which leads to mission, which leads others back to that encounter, to their own conversion, to continuously build up the body of Christ. Conversion, we talk about a lot here, uh, as I said, especially when we talk about the conversion of St. Francis of Assisi. And when you talk about Francis, he thought that his conversion came about by his encounters with the lepers outside of Assisi. Uh, in his testament, Francis wrote, the Lord gave me Francis thus to begin doing penance in this way. For when I was in sin, it seemed too bitter for me to see lepers. And then the Lord himself led me among them and I showed mercy to them. And when <clears throat> I left them, what had seemed bitter to me was turned into sweetness of soul and body. And afterwards, I delayed a little and left the world. It was those encounters that Francis had with the lepers where he saw himself being merciful to them that he came to know and understand God's mercy for himself. To be able to appreciate how merciful God was to him that enabled him then to continue to embrace that mercy and continue his life of penance being merciful to others. Those encounters that we have with others in which we have the opportunities to be merciful are the ones that will transform our lives, that will enable us to be better disciples, be equipped to go forward and learn what it means to be a faithful disciple, to then go out on mission to bring others to the faith. Each of us, too, has a story to tell about our own personal encounter with the Lord. We wouldn't be here today if we have not had some encounter, an encounter that we wish to desire to continue to foster, to deepen our faithfulness and fidelity, to help us to continue to grow in faithfulness with the Lord. Pope Francis reminds us of the importance of that encounter, and it's particularly the importance of the encounter for an evangelizing community, who we are as an academic institution that also embraces our role as an evangelizing community. Uh, in Evangelium Gaudium, Francis said, an evangelizing community knows that the Lord has taken the initiative. He has loved us first. And therefore, we can move forward boldly taking the initiative to go out to others 
to seek those who have fallen away, to stand at the crossroads and welcome the outcast. Such a community has an endless desire to show mercy, the fruits of its own experience of the power of the Father's infinite mercy. The more we come to know God's mercy for us, the more we are empowered to go forward to be merciful evangelizers to others. Often, you often hear the phrase, nemo dot quad non habit, the Latin phrase. You cannot give what you do not have. We need to work on our own lives so that we can go forward to be able to bring others to understand and appreciate God's love for us. One of the questions that was asked of Dr. Hendershot this morning, how can we reach out to those people who seem distant from what a Catholic university does? I think, first and foremost, and this actually I'm stealing from St. Francis, we have to work on ourselves. And the more we work on ourselves and become those men and women of faith that God wants us to be, the more people will be drawn to who we are. And the more people will want what we have, and the more willing, more open they will be to hear the teachings of the church with which we have been educated and formed. Uh, one of the particular concerns that happens, that comes up from time to time in the church today uh, is the uh, impact of secularism and moral relativism in our lives. Uh, and it's particularly problematic and has been identified certainly by Pope John Paul II, uh, Pope Benedict, and now certainly Pope Francis because of the consequences that happen from moral relativism and secularism. It often leads to the privatization of one's faith where we don't want to impose our views on others. And we allow other people to decide what is right for them to believe rather than believing in those absolute truths that we know come from the source of truth himself. Uh, Pope Francis was particularly uh, concerned about that. And when he wrote in his encyclical Lumen Fidei, he wrote about the consequences of allowing secularism and moral relativism to drift to their natural consequences. He said, uh, today more than ever, we need to be reminded of the bond between faith and truth, something that an evangelizing community, an academic Catholic institution is particularly equipped to do. Given the crisis of truth in our age and contemporary culture, he continued, truth is what makes life easier and more comfortable. In the end, we are left, what we are left with is relativism, in which the question of universal truth, and ultimately this means the question of God, is no longer relevant. That's kind of a scary thought, don't you think? That if moral relativism and secularism take hold of our society so, so uh, distinctly and have such a continued impact, that people, good men and women of faith, don't stand up in the public square and continue to promote the truth in charity, the question of God becomes irrelevant, and our faith is no longer relevant. In our culture today, we encounter the emergence of an attempt to seek that more comfortable truth in a number of different ways. We see it most particularly with, in most recent years with the ways in which our government has tried to limit our ability to practice our faith, 
saying, yes, it's okay, you can go to church on Sunday morning and do whatever you want to within the confines of that church building, but don't leave the church and bring it out into the community. What you believe inside there is okay. We can't allow that to happen. We must continue to carry who we are, not only in the church, but outside of that church building. We need to be authentic Christians. We need to be heroic Christians as well. Um, in, uh, La, whenever he was at World Youth Day a few years ago, Pope Francis, whenever he was talking uh, to the volunteers at World Youth Day, particularly saw the, the significance of how secularism and relativism is impacting the world's understanding of marriage and family life. And he challenged those volunteers who were there to really stand up and object to that. He said, today, th there are those who say that marriage is out of fashion. Is it out of fashion? In a culture of relativism and the ephemeral, many preach the importance of enjoying the moment. You've heard that, yes? They say that it is not worth making a lifelong commitment, making a definitive decision forever, because we do not know what tomorrow will bring. I ask you instead to be revolutionaries. I ask you to swim against the tide. Yes, I am asking you to rebel against this culture that sees everything as temporary and that ultimately believes you are incapable of responsibility, that believes you are incapable of true love. He concluded saying, I have confidence in you and I pray for you. All of us need to continue to recognize that the society can't tell us what we're incapable of doing. With the grace of God, with the prayers of each other, and the ways in which we're able to build each other up, leading each other closer to Christ, we are capable of doing tremendous things, allowing God to work through us, allowing God to continue to help us to strive to do all that he asks of us. And I think particularly, many people think that our young people are challenged in these ways that they are incapable. When I look around at Franciscan University, I have such great hope in seeing those men and women that God has sent to us. Those men and women who are indeed searching for the truth, desiring to not only have their academic excellence in the classroom, but to be those faithful men and women of Christ, to integrate their faith life with their academic studies and helping them to be able to go out to be evangelizers in the future. Uh, in uh, the conclusion uh, to uh, Ex Cordia Ecclesiae, Pope John Paul II again said that the mission that the church with great hope and trust to Catholic universities holds a culture and religious meaning of vital importance because it concerns the very future of humanity. We started with that quote. Hopefully, we have an opportunity to recognize that we have the tools to equip us to be able to go forward as a Catholic university to respond to that challenge. John Paul II is not alone in making these challenges to us. Uh, in a recent book that's entitled uh, Seeds of the Word of God, Finding God in the Culture, it just came out last summer, it's a book written by many uh, a persons many of you know. Uh, he's now Bishop Robert Barron, an auxiliary bishop of the Archdiocese uh, of Los Angeles. 
he reiterated some of the concerns that he has seen in Catholic universities in the last few years. And in particular, he pointed out two instances where he felt that a Catholic university acted somewhat shamefully of their Catholic identity. Uh, he, he said uh, the University of Notre Dame, quote, presented an honorary degree in law of all things to the most radically pro-abortion president in history, close quote. He also recalled that, quote, shortly thereafter, Georgetown University, the most prominent Jesuit university in the country, in order to satisfy the demands of the Obama White House, covered up all the religious symbols in Gaston Hall when the president spoke there, close quote. He went on to say, in response to what uh, these two institutions did, and you could think of other examples, perhaps, in other institutions, he said, what a Catholic university should never do is to surrender its own identity or to make apologies for its own deepest commitments. A Catholic center of higher learning should never acquiesce in its own secularization in order to participate in the public conversation. Should never surrender its own identity or to make apologies for its own deepest commitment. Dr. Hendershot this morning talked about the secularization of Catholic universities. And I think that's exactly what Bishop Barron is trying to emphasize here. He went on to say, this is why the first universities in Bologna, Paris, Oxford, and Cambridge emerged precisely out of the milieu of the church. In the 19th century, St. Bonaventure, professor at the University of Paris, composed an extraordinary text called Christ the Center, the gravamen of whose argument is that Jesus, the Logos, is at the heart of physics, mathematics, history, and metaphysics. In the mid-19th century, John Henry Newman, in a series of lectures entitled The Idea of a University, made much the same assertion. The Jesus referenced by the great tradition belongs, therefore, very much in the public sphere and around the table of intellectual conversation. In that context, he poses no threat to legitimate expressions of reason, and he serves as a trump to the unreason that can surface easily enough in the sciences, in politics, or in philosophy. A Catholic university worthy of the name is a place where Jesus the Logos has this essential regulating role. We here at Franciscan University certainly strive to follow that example of the early academic institutions, integrating the role of Christ in all of our academic discussions, endeavoring to bring the presence of Christ to others, but also promoting that dialogue between faith and reason. As John Paul II recognized in Excordia Ecclesiae, a university, a Catholic university, places itself in the middle of that dialogue between faith and reason, an interaction that would not typically be found at a secular institution. Moreover, as centers of evangelization, Catholic universities and members of the university family are compelled to embark upon that ongoing conversion that leads them 
to be authentic witnesses of the faith. Catholic universities should always strive to promote the teachings of our faith in the public square, in scholarship, and in the many decisions that are made for a Catholic university. Education, catechetics, and theology are key to these evangelistic outreach, but our participation in the other academic disciplines is equally significant as well because it's a way in which we engage in those studies, our witness in those studies that also enable us to promote that personal encounter with Christ, leading each one of us to discipleship and engagement of mission. All of us have a role to play. All of us are charged by the gospel to teach, to spread the good news, to be those agents of evangelization. And following the, the promotion of the example of Pope Francis, certainly our Holy Father, St. Francis, we here at the university always strive to do that under the principle of being joyful disciples in leading others to Christ. Thank you very much. Thank you, Paul, and uh, thank you, Father Sean, for your talk. And, uh and we were joking last night about uh, responding to the university president as a faculty member. And the best way to respond is that this is a wonderful talk, and I'll sit down now. No. Um, but since I have tenure, I'll go ahead and uh, respond. No. <laughs> it was a, it was a, you know, Father Sean did, did a, um, a wonderful job of ex describing and uh, explaining the university uh, family, the, the unique Catholic community that, that we have there. And, and you can't be... Um, uh, can't not be struck by that by walking around the campus and engaging the students, the faculty, and the staff. And uh, you know, I see that uh, in, in a first-hand way is, is uh, the, the effect the university has on uh, people that aren't familiar with it as a cross-country coach. And uh, as I take the team uh, to, to, to meets, I'll get comments from the bus driver, from the race officials, from other teams. Um, about what's wrong with these kids, you know, what, why are they so joyful, and uh, why, why are they, you know, um, uh, so different, and, uh, and I think that, that captures uh, the, the, that clear, vibrant love, that the, the sacramental life that is part and parcel of Franciscan University, um, and that, that we take to heart that we want to exercise our mission in Christ. And, and this is something that Bishop Montfortin mentioned this morning about you know, to exercise his mission uh, as bishop, he must remain in Christ. And I think that that's true of any committed Catholic. To exercise the mission, the evangelical mission that you've been given, you must remain in Christ. But the thing that we want to look at is as, as a university, what is our unique mission? Right? What is that? It's obviously different than what Bishop Montfortin says. It's different than a parish mission, even though we do need to have that deep sacramental life that we foster here on campus, what is it, what is the specific mission that uh, a Catholic university can provide? And there's many different things, but what is something that's unique to Catholic universities? Right? Um, and, and I would say that our specific evangelical mission is sort of a intellectual evangelization or an academic evangelization. Um, and if you look at, you know, Excordia, it talks about a Catholic university pursues its objectives through its formation of an authentic human community animated by the spirit of Christ. And we certainly have uh, an attempt to have this authentic human community here and, and, and described it by Father Sean as a family. Uh, but it's what is that objective that, that we have? And the objective of a university is, is academic, to scrutinize reality 
to integrate knowledge from different disciplines, to search for the truth. And, and, the, and the interesting thing about the, the, the thing that, that jumps out to me when I hear those lines is that it's a search. You know, it's not something that, that we've done. It's an ongoing thing. You know? And in, in Ex Corte, John Paul uh, writes, integration of knowledge is a process, one which will always remain incomplete, this side of the grave which is wonderful because we'll never be out of a job academically. There's always something more to do, but it is a search. And if I want to search for the truth, and I really am dedicated to that, there is this, we believe that living deeply in Christ and having that sacramental <coughs> practice that, that illuminates our understanding, it enlightens our search, it enlightens the questions that we, we want to ask. Um, and it's going to help us reach the proper knowledge and really find the truth that we're after. And, and, and then why do we do this? Well, you know, knowing on it is good in and of itself. You know, there is a, you know, there's an intrinsic value of knowledge and, and research. It's better to know calculus than not know calculus. It's better to know Yates than not to know Yates. But as Father Sean talked about, with the rise of secularism, and, and particularly in the academic uh, institutions, you have a, an additional sort of motivation to seek uh, the truth. And that is, when you have a culture that's so confused on issues such as marriage and um, contraception and euthanasia and uh, the life issues in particular, there's a need for evangelization. And for Catholic universities, there's a specific particular need for an intellectual evangelization. Because a lot of the you know, confusion on these issues stems from academic arguments that support the use of you know, fetal tissue research, academic arguments that support a normalized gay marriage, or support euthanasia as a form of mercy. And it is, in a sense, the job of a Catholic university, a unique evangelization job, to engage the academic community. Um, so how do we do this? You know, as a Catholic university, we have, uh, you know, I think, an obligation to do this. And we have a, um, a campus and an, an environment here where we live close to the heart of the church, and we attempt to do that. Um, so how do we engage those universities that you know, we talked about you know, that the, the theology and philosophy faculty, their theology faculty in particular, don't have mandatum. Right? Uh, you know, is it, uh, you know, and I just suggest, is it uh, a use to have some of those conferences where we bring in theology, philosophy faculty members that disagree with us? And there's many reasons for, for that. You know, we're not talking, I'm not suggesting we honor these people with uh, honorary degrees and, and uh, have them be commencement speakers. But uh, Dr. Hahn talked about last night about the potential for conversion on this campus. I mean, it's hard to walk on this campus and not be struck by the joy and the life of Christ. And bringing academics here for a conference, um, you know, a bioethics conference, bringing someone that might disagree on the use of fetal stem cells to talk with and to engage faculty members here that are sure in their, their views and, and uh, their, their understanding of church teaching, does that give us an opportunity to reach out to those other universities and to evangelize those other universities or form at least form relationships with them and bring them into a, a dialogue uh, with us? Um, so that, that's one thing to think about. The second um, I wanted to talk about is, is the role you know, sort of, of faculty members and, and students. And Father Sean had mentioned that um, 
you know, that the faculty members have the opportunities um, to participate in the new evangelization through their renewal, through their inter the, the relationships that they have with their students and the interactions, and he listed all those things that faculty members do to build those relationships with the students and give them more than just academic guidance. But at the same time, we have that duty to give them academic and intellectual formation um, as well. And the two go hand in hand. You can't really do evangelization or prepare them to do evangelization without both. You can't have someone that is academically incompetent being a good evangelist in the culture. Um, and uh, you can't have someone that doesn't have the life and, and participate in the life of Christ to be a good evangelist. You need to have both of those together. And um, the um, example of this uh, that I see is in, in my own discipline in biology, where you have roughly 40% of biologists in, in, the, in academia who um, profess to be atheists, um, and about 60% that 20% uh, uh, agnostics. You only have about 40% that are believers uh, in a personal God. And uh, the question, how, how do you reverse that trend? Right? And I would argue that to reverse that trend, the only people that can reverse that trend are biologists. Right? That if that trend ever is reversed, it's not going to be because of a philosopher or because of a theologian or because of a psychologist, because that unique uh, discipline needs to be evangelized by people in that discipline. Um, and I look at, uh, for example, uh, the uh, you know a, a prominent uh, Christian uh, biologist, Francis Collins, who was the director of the Human Genome Project and is now. Um, ahead of NIH, and he's an evangelical Christian. And uh, some of the things that he has written, he wrote a, wrote a book called The Language of God, and, and one of the quotes in it, he says, the God of the Bible is also the God of the genome. He can be worshiped in the cathedral or in the laboratory. His creation is majestic, awesome, intricate, and beautiful, and it cannot be at war with itself. Only we imperfect humans can start such battles, and only we can end them. The point here that, that I want to make is that if, if, a, if I'm a scientist, atheist scientist, and I hear you know, a philosopher or a theologian or something say, well, there's a god of the genome. You know, it's very easy to discount them by saying, well, they don't know anything about biology. They're ignorant. Uh, I can discount their argument. But when Francis Collins says that, you don't have that out. You can't say, well, he's ignorant of the genome. He was the director of the sequencing of the human genome. And it gives them some gravitas in that discipline to to evangelize, and that's the thing to, to, to realize that to be an effective evangelist in your discipline requires excellence. Um, and, and so we have here at Franciscan, I think, the, the tools for forming and the pastoral care to form that deep relationship with Christ and that supportive community. But students and also have to take the advantage of all the opportunities we have to form themselves intellectually. Because if you do one without the other, we're not going to be able to take advantage of the gift that Franciscan University is and, and, and can be to, to not only the church, but to the, the culture at large. Thanks. Faith and Reason Podcasts. New media for the new evangelization from Franciscan University of Steubenville. Find more at faithandreason.com.